welcome to Tour Guide Tell All. We are your friendly neighborhood tour guides here to talk to you guys about all things interesting, fun, scandalous, and special about American history, Washington, D.C., international history, all fun things. I am one of your hosts, Rebecca. Oh, and I'm Becca. And we are the, the Rebecca's. Rebecca's. Not our best. <laughs> Not our best, no. It was good, though. It was good. It was, we're, you know, we're getting there. Good effort. Good effort. <laughs> That's what you say to the losing team in softball. Anyway, um, we are here today to talk to you guys about Christmas or holiday traditions rather um, in the DC area. So we want to, I want to just first start by acknowledging that like a lot of what we're going to be talking about is like Christian and Christmas. And that might be because of the to date 44 men who have been president of the United States. All of them have been white. Well, all but one of them have been white and they've all been Christian. And we are, you know, a lot of our traditions are Christian. Uh, there are, we're going to talk about a little later on as we sort of move through this, uh, some more sort of multicultural traditions that sort of crop up later, but especially at the beginning, you know, Christmas is a, we're, we started out as a not Christian, but Christian nation. And that is reflected in our traditions. So with that caveat, uh, we're going to talk about some fun stuff. It's a little lighthearted today. Uh, we're going to talk all things, you know, Yuletide. So get some eggnog and uh, your favorite Christmas-themed candy, whatever that might be. I'm personally partial to the candy cane Hershey's Kisses. I don't know about you. Those are pretty good. I'm in favor of, like, just chocolate year-round. I don't need a particular holiday, but during this time of year, I do like um, like the peppermint bark or like the dark chocolate with some mint or peppermint in it. I am currently working on a, a chocolate advent calendar from Aldi in addition to my cheese advent calendar. Advent calendar is really the best thing about Christmas because you get a treat every day for 24 days and it's really wonderful. Just for being good. Or not, even. <laughs> I give it to myself for being <laughs> <So> good. good. <laughs> so that's what we're going to talk about. Christmas. White House, traditions, D.C. It's going to be good. Yeah, so it is December. It is sort of the season, I think, for holiday frivolity. And I really enjoy Christmas, even in the sort of secular sense of just, like, I enjoy lights. I think people should put lights on their house year-round, honestly. There should just be twinkle lights everywhere. Uh, this is normally a time when it's not COVID, where, you know, you're out and about. There's holiday markets, some of which are still happening and we'll talk about at the end of the episode. Uh, there's usually a lot of great holiday events happening around Washington, D.C., so this is a time of year as a tour guide I really love because there's always a lot of really fun things happening in the city. Some things are still happening this year, and we will talk about that at the end of the episode. But I do get a lot of questions around this time of year as to sort of like, what is this holiday like at the White House? What is it like for the president? And it's sort of interesting because I think what happens at the White House sort of reflects the way things have happened in our homes, like, you know, how everyday people celebrate Christmas. So if you kind of look back to the early years of the American presidency and the early years of the White House, they sort of celebrated Christmas the way that everyday Americans celebrated Christmas, which is not the way we do it today. Most of what we identify with Christmas 
Christmas trees, putting up lights, big, big feasts and shopping and gifts. That is all really 20th century stuff. Um, Some of it starts to come about in the late 1800s, but really most of what I think the average American family associates with Christmas or the holiday season is a 20th century invention. So, you know, we don't have a lot of stories of kind of some of the early American presidents throwing these big shindigs because that's not what Americans did back then. But because it's a family home, you know, the White House is both sort of this public and private space. It is the residence. That's something that was important to George Washington, that the president live and work in the same place. Because the White House is a family home, we have had families celebrating the holidays there all the way back to 1800. And that is when the very first holiday Christmas party took place in the White House. So the White House at this point is still essentially under construction. When John Adams and Abigail Adams move in. There is still work being done on the White House. It is still the city. The city, quote unquote, is like not really a city yet. Uh, There's not a lot here. It's not like Boston where there were like places to go and things to do. So uh, the Adams have their four-year-old granddaughter with them and she's living at the White House with them. And they're like, okay, well, we have this child in the White House with us and it's our first Yuletide holiday season here. Let's have a party. And so basically they invite government officials and their children to attend. We don't have a lot of details about what that was. We just know from their letters that they basically hosted a dinner and a holiday celebration. But that's the first real Christmas party to be held at the White House. So all the way back, I love the idea of these staid and proper New Englanders having this big, like, blowout at the brand new White House that isn't even finished yet. <laughs> so, like, imagine your house is under re- reconstruction and you're inviting a bunch of people. I'm assuming it wasn't a blowout. <laughs> I'm assuming it was very... No, I'm assuming it was not. Very, uh, very calm. Right. And the other thing I feel like with Christmas that we sort of forget is that it wasn't always quite as nakedly commercial, I feel like, <laughs> as it has become. Like, it, it is a religious holiday. And there is, like, religious observance that goes along with that. And it's also kind of a nice time to be quiet with your family. And I feel like, you know, like you said, the White House is a symbol and it's the seat of government. But it's also where the family lives for four years or longer sometimes. And it's their right to have a family gathering as they see fit. That's changed a little bit now, I feel like, with being at the White House for the president whoever the president is, that involves a lot of other people's holidays too because there's so many people who work for the president and there are places that the president can go to that is less impactful as far as the people who attend to the president. And so that's, I think, a little bit of why they leave for Christmas Day sometimes. But uh, Andrew Jackson is, oh, sorry, were you going to say something? I was just going to jump in and say what's also important to keep in mind, too, is I think the expectation, again, in the 20th and certainly the 21st century is that we want to know what the president's doing all the time. We want to see the president and their family. We want to see them with their holiday gear on and doing all that stuff that we do. That's not the expectation in the 19th century. There isn't this daily tracking of what the president's doing because media is so different then. There's still, I think, a lot of acceptance of the president has a private life and the president has a family life. And that's not not really relevant to what we're covering. So you also sort of had this luxury if you were a president in the 19th century of having 
time to just do things with your family that wasn't necessarily going to get press coverage. And that changes a lot in the 20th century. Once you start to have things like radio and television and the 24-hour news cycle, now even for the family part of this holiday, it's still so public in many ways. And you almost feel bad. I mean, you don't because they get to live in the, the White House and I don't, but it's just that all of your family traditions and things like that have to in some way be accommodated. I mean, they sign up for it, so I don't feel that bad for them. But Andrew Jackson hosts a frolic. I'm calling all my Christmas parties frolics from now on. Plus, Andrew Jackson is like the least likely frolicker in the ever live in the White House. Like, he's not a guy who frolics at all. He has a frolic. He invites children of staff and friends to party at the White House. There's games, there's dancing, there's dinner. Uh, there's an indoor snowball fight, which is really great. They use cotton balls instead of real snow. Which is a little bit of a bummer, but probably helped to save on the cleanup. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew Jackson was really into opening up the White House, which I like. I like that he wanted people to come in and... Yeah, this holiday frolic is like a nice parallel to his inauguration, his like inaugural ball and party where he opens the White House up to the general public. And I love this idea that in 1834, when, you know, you had to go to the White House, you went to a salon, or you had to have a meeting with the president, you know, you had to have a reason. This is sort of like, hey... You guys are staff and family and friends of friends. Why don't you just come and like throw cotton balls around? It's a a lighter side of Andrew Jackson. We start seeing bigger, I think, holiday observances at the White House as we get closer to the turn of the 20th century. Theodore Roosevelt in 1903 hosts a Christmas carnival where they invite 500 children for dinner. It does not hold that many people. Y'all, I've been inside the White House. It's not that big. The state dining room only seats like 120 or something. Where do 500 people go? So there's like this huge event with 500 children, which to be fair, the Roosevelt's themselves had like, I don't know, a couple hundred. They had a ton of kids. And they're all little too. Like that's the other <laughs> and thing. And all about, those pets. Like not all presidents have young, young kids, but TR had like little, little children. His oldest was 16. So like they had little kids running around and they brought all their friends and they had all their animals. and Yeah. And so he's got this carnival, there's dinner, there's music, there's souvenirs, which is one of the first time we have a souvenir from a White House holiday event, which now um, if you attend things like a White House Christmas party, you're going to walk away with the White House ornament or you'll walk away with like a special card and picture. He also is going to have special ice cream shaped like Santa, which is a really fun little tidbit. That's good stuff. Now, there's a bit of a rumor about Theodore Roosevelt and Christmas, which sometimes I hear in podcasts or I hear in videos, which is that he banned Christmas trees from the White House. Now, this is not really true. People sometimes say it because he was such a conservationist and he didn't really believe in cutting down trees. And that, I mean, you could sort of say, sure, that makes sense. But it's not that he banned Christmas trees. They just didn't put up Christmas trees, which, again, the Christmas tree in the home tradition is really very new in the early 1900s. And it's not something that every family who celebrates did. And that wasn't something the Roosevelt's did before they moved to the White House. So why would they do it? in the White House. So they just didn't have Christmas trees. It's not that they were banned. They typically would have exchanging of gifts, a family dinner, and they go to church, which is how pretty much the average American celebrated this holiday. However, one of his sons, Archie, in 1902, snuck in a small Christmas tree because this is what happens when you have a bunch of little kids living in the White House. They get into mischief. So he snuck in a small tree. He hid it in a closet. And on Christmas Day, he revealed it 
to the family. So he had taken this little tree, he put a little bit of decoration on it, and that was his gift to his brothers and sisters and his parents. And so Teddy was so amused by this that then they started the family tradition of decorating a tree. So it's actually Archie Roosevelt who brings the tradition of a family Christmas tree for the Roosevelts into the White House. So he didn't ban trees outright. It just hadn't been part of their family tradition until Archie forced it upon them. I like that. I like it. FDR is, FDR kind of goes a little Christmas crazy. I, in my research, there was a couple of different places where I was like, really? Wow. Like he, big, on, big Christmas. on Christmas. He insisted on decorating. We'll talk about this a little bit more later, but he insisted that the public be able to see the White House Christmas tree and kind of come inside. He wanted like this very homey atmosphere. He is going to insist on reading passages from Dickens Christmas Carol every year, which is so cute. I think. I wonder if he read them himself. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. I like to think so. Yeah, in my mind he did. Then there's the tradition of a gingerbread house, which is started in the 60s by Nixon. Sort of a very German gingerbread house, which if you've never had one, they're delightful and they taste really good. Um, So that they've had one, they get a unique one every um, year since. And it's one of those things in Washington that there are kind of gingerbread houses and like gingerbread monuments and all over the city, like the Willard Hotel does one every year and they do a different scene from the area. Last year it was the Jefferson Memorial. Yeah, it's it's definitely, I guess not so much, probably not so much this year, but in past years you could kind of go to a handful of hotels and you would see these giant gingerbread displays and often it would be not just a gingerbread house, but a gingerbread Capitol building or a gingerbread Jefferson Memorial or a gingerbread Georgetown, you know, Main Street kind of thing. But that all sort of is an aping of the White House tradition going back to Nixon of having this unique elaborate gingerbread display and uh, we'll link in our show notes but there have been some really incredible gingerbread houses that the pastry chefs at the White House have created specifically for Christmas at the White House which is great because uh, for me that would be a huge perk of being president of like you'd have this beautiful gingerbread house and you wouldn't have to make it somebody else makes it it's ideal yes And Becca taught me once, guys, and this is wisdom I'm going to pass on to you, that any memorial worth going to see can be effectively rendered in candy form. It's true. If if it's worth seeing, they're going to make it out of chocolate or gingerbread. Exactly. Or some sugar thing. (laughs) What to go see. I think when we think about Christmas at the White House, though, we often think about the decor inside. We think about the Christmas tree and the decorations. Um, usually every year, right around this time, this is when the White House unveils its holiday decor for the season. Uh, and I think that's really, in the modern age, what we associate with Christmas at the White House. The very first White House Christmas tree, and we're talking about a tree inside the White House, is done in 1889 by Benjamin Harrison. Again, the tr- Christmas tree tradition is still pretty new at this point, so they're a bit of early adopters, Benjamin and his wife, Carolyn Harrison. They're going to put this White House Christmas tree on the second floor in the Oval Room, which at that time was a library and family parlor. So they are kind of putting it in the family space, not so much the public space. And they decorated it with toys and candles, which seems like a bad idea to put candles in a tree in a historic house. That had been burned once before. That had been burned once before. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I have, So when I was doing research for this, I read that there were two, there's competing claims about the first Christmas tree. So Benjamin Harrison sort of has the lead. Like they, most people feel like 
he's the real one. But since I real, this is a president we never get to talk about, um, I'm going to drop him in here um, because it's one of, he's one of my favorites. He kind of rhymes. And there's a claim that Franklin Pierce had the very first Christmas tree in the eight, early 1850s. And this gives me a chance to say Franklin Pierce, secretly fierce. If you go and look at a picture of him as a young man, he's very good looking. That is disputed. There are not, they can't even decide on which is the right year, 1853 or 1856. Uh, So take that that claim with a grain of salt. But there is a claim that predates Harrison. That's fascinating to me because it really would be well before it was typical for families to put up trees. And Franklin Pierce and Jane Pierce enter the White House mourning the loss of their only son, Benny, in a train accident. So I sort of wonder, like, I could see it both ways. Like, maybe they put a tree up to sort of bring back a sense of a normal holiday celebration or to honor Benny. But then part of me also goes, they were in such mourning. Would they have put up a tree? That's interesting. That's really interesting. So Benjamin Harrison typically gets the credit for having kind of the first White House Christmas tree. Grover Cleveland will have the first tree with electric lights. So in 1894, they very wisely decide that candles in this tree is a bad idea. And probably electricity is the way to go. Yeah, no, uh, electricity is definitely, I think, a better choice than candles in a live tree. 1912, your main man, William Howard Taft, moves it the White House Christmas tree to the Blue Room. The first time that the tree is not on the family level. So that he's going to move this out of the family quarters. And it's, I think, sort of maybe a symbolic move as well. Like this is you're moving it out of the family celebration into the sort of more public areas of the White House so that it can be seen by the general public visiting the White House. So William Howard Taft is going to do that in 1912. Of course, at that point, he's already lost re-election, so he doesn't really care. Um, He's on his way out. Technically, Taft's children moved it because the Tafts were in Panama. Uh, and they wanted to surprise their cousins, which is kind of cute. I love that. I love that so many of these stories are really children just taking over something in the White House and calling an I love audible. That too. <laughs> yeah, I love that too. I love that the, this whole like experience is like sort of molded by the kids in the White House. And it's been a, you know, having kids in the White House is a unique experience and they get to kind of do what they want to do. Like it's the trade-off for the sort of existence that they live, particularly now, which is full of security and you can't do this. And they get to invent Christmas traditions, which is kind of cool. But as with all things really cool and decorative in the White House, it's really Jackie Kennedy who kind of starts the big White House Christmas things. She's going to go all out uh, as far as decorating the inside of the White House. She's going to make it sort of very public. And there's a theme and there's going to be sort of themed decorations her first year she does the nutcracker suite. Yeah, so Jackie, like like we saw so many things, she really uh, takes the the view that the White House is, of course, the family home. It is the the place where the president works, but it is also a historic house museum. She really sees the White House as a historical site that is meant to interpret and share American history. And so she really wants to take these Christmas traditions that have been happening sort of piecemeal like the White House Christmas tree, which in the eight years preceding Jackie, Mamie Eisenhower had said, okay, 
the White House Christmas tree is going to be in the blue room. That's where the Tafts put it. We're going to do that. And so for eight years, Mamie decorated a tree in the same spot. So there had been this little sense of a tradition building up over time. And Jackie says, you know what? This is the White House Christmas tree, and it's going to be themed every year because she really wants to use that tree as a way to reflect various aspects of American culture and American history. And I love that she chose the Nutcracker because she loved classical music. She loved dance. And I think it's really reflected in that. I think today, though, if you look at the amount of decor that the White House does today compared to what the Kennedys did, I mean, it's just no contest. Today, we put up so much more decor than was done in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Um, but Jackie is really the one who starts to say, we can use these Christmas celebrations to reflect various points in American history. We can use it to commemorate events in American history. And we can use it to highlight parts of our culture that are unique or interesting. Yes, I agree. And there's also like a contest to select the tree too. Yes, yeah. So the Christmas tree itself, the, the White House Christmas tree itself, <laughs> prior to sort of 1966, these trees just came from anywhere and all over. And it was kind of up to the First Lady or the White House to decide where they're going to get their tree. The National Christmas Tree Association is founded in 1966. And this is basically a conglomerate of tree growers that want to have the opportunity to have their trees showcased in the White House. So they basically say, we're going to have a contest to make it more fair so that there's no favoritism as to who gets the tree. So every year, there is indeed state and regional competitions, and the very best tree is chosen as the national grand champion, and it is delivered to the White House. And that is what we have been doing for like 55 years. I love that they compete for these things. It's so good. Um, North Carolina has won the most often with 13 trees, followed closely by Pennsylvania with 11 trees. There have almost always been fir trees, but apparently we've had spru- spru- yeah, that makes sense. spruces and pine trees as well. What the difference between those trees are in terms of visuals, I don't really know. Not a tree expert, but they're big and they're green and you can decorate them. <laughs> I feel like most Christmas trees we see are firs. That's like the visual I have. A pine tree to me seems a little odd, but I really know nothing about trees. I would have thought that more trees came from like Vermont or New Hampshire or like some New England state. So North Carolina and Pennsylvania are kind of fascinating. I know. I find that interesting as well. Like Pennsylvania, I can kind of see there's a lot of woods in Western Pennsylvania. I'm sure they grow large trees out there. But like I would, my thought would have been like Colorado or like maybe Washington state, like they seem to have a lot of land for trees. They have a lot of logging is a big industry in those states. So it would seem to me they have trees. Again, we're historians, not really arborealists. Uh, Arborists. Arborists, there we go. (laughs) Eisenhower held for many, many years the record for the largest number of trees inside the White House, which was 26. But that record was broken by the Bushes in 1990. They had 47 trees in the White House. But wait, there's more. And the current record is 2015. The Obamas had 62 trees inside the White House. Let's just break this down. There's 132 rooms in the White House total. That's total number of rooms. Yeah. And some of them are like offices. 62 trees mean that you have like almost half the rooms in the White House having a tree in them. And you figure 35 of those are bathrooms, so you probably don't have trees in the bathroom. But yeah, that's a lot of rooms. And like some of them are offices where people like do 
actual real work. I, it doesn't seem to me that there'd be room. And it's an old historic home. And like the, the main Christmas tree in the blue room is 18 feet tall. It is so tall, they have to take out the chandelier in the room every year in order so that it fits in there. So these are not small trees, and they're very big and very well decorated. It's a lot of trees, you guys. It's a lot. I will just mention uh, this year's theme for the White House decor is America the Beautiful. So that's this year's theme for 2020. The White House Christmas tree for 2020 is 18 feet tall, and it is a Fraser fir. Yeah, this is just inside. And they get these delivered, like... They get them sometimes on like sleighs or, you know, horse-drawn carriages or whatever uh, delivered to the White House. It's a big ceremony. Uh, But these are just the indoor ones. The outdoor one, the big one, the main one, is on what's called the ellipse today. And the first national, they call it the National Christmas Tree. I call it the White House Christmas Tree Experience. Oh, experience. But that's confusing because the inside tree is called the White House Christmas Tree. Okay, I'll have to rethink it. Anyway, the first one comes from 1923. Calvin Coolidge uh, is going to do the first Christmas tree lighting. And Grace Coolidge, who really is much, much cooler than her husband, uh, received a request from D.C. Public Schools to place a tree on the ellipse uh, and call it the National Christmas Tree. So she's going to be the one that sort of spearheads this idea of a national Christmas tree that we can all kind of see outside. I love that it's a request from school children, though, that she says yes to. I think that's so sweet. So the first tree is donated by his home state, Vermont, by Middlebury College, which is just delightful in New Englandy. Uh, it's a 48-foot balsam fir. 3,000 spectators attend the first tree lightings. They have 2,500 light bulbs in red, green, and white donated by the Electric League of Washington uh, in order to decorate the first outdoor national Christmas tree. The Electric League of Washington. This sounds so great. So Calvin Coolidge accidentally creates this tradition. It's really like Grace gets this letter. She says, sure, why not? You know, you want us to put a tree and call it the National Christmas Tree? We don't have to do anything. Great. And it really kicks off this tradition. So for like the next 30 years, various cut trees are placed around the White House. It's not always on the ellipse. And that's something that I think people don't always realize, uh, especially if you aren't like a lifelong Washingtonian or you didn't have parents or grandparents here. There were times where the tree was placed by the Sherman statue, which is south of the Treasury Department, closer to 15th Street. And then there were times where the tree was actually placed in Lafayette Square Park, which is really unusual, but I think also would be really cool. If you could do that today, like have it in the park because you have that really nice front view of the White House. So it's moved around a lot. And then FDR moved the National Christmas tree. He wanted it inside of the fence line because he liked the idea of inviting the public into his yard. So he puts it kind of onto the grounds itself. So the, it's important also, I feel like, to mention the White House is not fully closed off to visitors at this time. Uh, we, they don't actually fully secure the White House until after Pearl Harbor in 1941. And so when FDR, the first nine years, nine years that he's in the White House, um, there is no, like, it's not as closed off as it is. Like, we all grow up, the White House is a fortress, and you can't, you have to have a pass to go on the grounds unless you want to get arrested. Uh, But back then, there was a little bit more wiggle room. The White House doesn't become fully secure until a little bit later. And so, but he, what he wants is to put the tree inside the fence and have this idea that people are going to come to his house and see the tree. And it's, 
just a really nice idea, particularly in the depression when people are kind of doing without. I love the idea that he wants to like include people in the White House and have them come to the people's house and sort of um, experience it like as a country. I love the idea of that. That is really sweet to me. This idea too, that you be like right up, you know, right in the yard of the White House to enjoy the national Christmas tree. And I know it's not practical or feasible to do it that way now, but that's something that I think is really so lovely. And I wish we could do it again. 1932 is the first year they have a singing tree, which is where they put speakers hidden into the branches and music was piped through for the enjoyment of visitors. And this still happens today. If you go visit, there's usually in previous years, there's sometimes live music at certain times. They have groups caroling or performing, but other times they just pipe in music and you're enjoying music while you visit the tree. 1932, technology was different back then. So they literally had a Vitrola and it was in the park police station nearby so it was like in the little park police stand and the park police were responsible for changing the records from 6 to 10 p.m every night so the park police had to be in there like every hour to change the record which is just so funny to me i just love that (laughs) i don't even know um if you're listening to this and you're under the age of like 25 i don't even know how to explain any of this to you what a record is the idea that you have to change it no yeah i don't yeah (laughs) record This is what you don't even know what tapes. They don't know what CDs are, Rebecca. Um, Yeah, right. They didn't have wireless back then. You had to actually have wires literally going from the park police in order to pipe the music. And someone had to stand there and change the record, which just amuses me. Right, Sonos was not a thing yet. You didn't have like Spotify. Like this was this is old school, which I just and I love the thought that goes into it too. Um, Nineteen. 36 or 37, it's not clear. Uh, The switch box that is still used today was first introduced, which is cute. Uh, And then they're going (laughs) to, people are still people, they're going to put a fence around the tree itself because folks have started to steal the ornaments on the White House Christmas tree. So this is to prevent that. And the fence is still there. (laughs) Yeah. It makes me feel a little better to know that people are still people. And even back in the 30s, people were like, oh, it's the National Christmas tree. I'm going to swipe an ornament, which is totally what people today would do if it wasn't fenced off. I will also mention the switch box that has been used since 36 or 37. It is unclear. Even the White House Historical Association isn't really sure which year is the first year. But the white or the switch box that has been used every year since for the lighting is displayed at the White House Visitor Center. So you can actually go see the switch box and it has an engraving uh, of the names and years of all the presidents, what year they flipped the switch. So you can go see that at the White House Visitor Center. Um, and the only time it's not displayed is when the tree lighting is happening. So... That's like a fun little uh, artifact I like to point out to visitors at the Visitor Center. And so then you get to 1941. And December 7th, 1941, we're going to be attacked in Hawaii uh, by the Japanese. And so all of a sudden we're in the midst of the Second World War, which had been going on elsewhere, but now we're in it. And this is obviously December 7th is right before Christmas. And so are we still going to have a White House Christmas ceremony, a thing, a lighting? And FDR like insists that it goes on. 
And he also has a special guest for everybody who attends. Um, Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of the UK, was actually there. He had secretly taken a boat across the Atlantic and made his way to Washington. I mean, Roosevelt obviously knew he was coming. It's not like he showed up uninvited. But he, for security reasons, the rest of the world did not know. And so Churchill's like there, like, hi, I'm here. And he gives like an address at the National Tree Lighting, which is just amazing. Um, And of course, Patriot Patriotically, like we're in a war now uh, that's going to be red, white, and blue lighting on the tree. But there's no tree for the rest of the war. So 42, 43, and 44, they're not going to have... There's a tree. Oh, there's a tree. Sorry. No lights. The tree exists, but for security reasons, they do not put lights on the tree. I mean, today, the White House Christmas tree is so bright you probably can see it from space and it probably is like a genuine target it's like an airport runway it's massive well i guess i guess you know using thinking about world war ii era tech and if you didn't have lights on the white house and other buildings in downtown if you had the blackouts at night it probably would be a good idea to also keep the tree unlit i could see it because the tech then wasn't as good as i think today it wouldn't matter if you had lights on the tree or not you know you know where the tree is (laughs) that's true And then in 1945, Truman's going to light it for the first time since the beginning of the war. And he has this really, like, lovely idea that we're war-weary and we need this Christmas is going to... We've prayed for it for four years and the war has been really terrible. And we all deserve, basically, a little bit of happiness. I love that he says, The gloom of the war years fade as once more we light the national community Christmas tree. It's It's a nice moment to think of as a country coming just honestly a few months after victory in Japan to have this big celebratory tree lighting to sort of mark the end of this this difficult four-year period. And I love that it's my boy Truman bringing everybody together. 1954 is when the tree is moved back to the ellipse. So it has kind of continued to bounce around various parts of the White House grounds. 54 is when it comes back to the ellipse, and that's where it is today. That's also the first year that they add the pageant of peace. A lot of people, when they think about the National Christmas tree, they think that it's just a tree, and you go and see that one tree, and that's it. But that is not what it's been since 1954. Like you said, it's really an experience. There are trees representing all of the yes. American states, all of the American territories, and the District of Columbia. So there are smaller trees that surround the National Christmas Tree. Each of those smaller trees is decorated with ornaments from that state. So the state typically will have an organization or a group or a nonprofit that will create ornaments and they're placed on that tree. There is music, there's trains often that are set up and things to watch, there's performers. So it becomes sort of this beautiful celebration of the holidays. It's not just like one tree that you just kind of like look at. No, it's really, you walk around, they have, they've had Yule logs for many years, like a big burning fire. They have live entertainment, not all the time, but some of the day and during the daylight hours, uh, they'll have, They've now, in the last 40 years, had a menorah. Uh, In fact, in 2019, it was the largest menorah in the world. And that's my little fun fact. And they used cut trees. They would have kind of like Rockefeller Center. They haul this big tree in from wherever, and they set it up, and they they decorate it. But since 1973, they decided, no, we should have one here and just... It'll be here all the time, and it'll be really great. We've had multiple live trees because sometimes trees die. What are you going to do? Yeah, I'm going to be honest. Washington, D.C. does not necessarily have the climate that these trees, these firs and spruces ideally thrive in. 
And we are in kind of that mid-Atlantic storm zone. So we get thunderstorms and derechos and, you know, edges of hurricanes. And that's not ideal for these trees. No. And it's also exposed. Trees are also like used to be supposed to be in a forest with other trees to like provide support. This is right there on the middle of the ellipse and there's nothing else around it. So since 73, we have had many live trees. (laughs) Several live trees come in and be planted. And then the best part, and this is my personal favorite, and I was there when this happened. I don't know if you were, but I was. In 2018, somebody tried to climb the the outdoor national Christmas tree. And the Secret Service were less than pleased. (laughs) I walked by. I was finishing a tour on my way to another tour. And there was no less than nine flashing light emergency vehicles with this guy who, like, climbed the tree. And again, these are not small trees. This is an endeavor to get all the way up to the top. And he just, like, stayed there and was like, yeah, I'm just going to hang out here for a little while. It It was interesting. It was a night. It was a thing. And, you know, thanks to that guy... These trees are not meant to be climbed. And so there was so much damage done by this one person climbing into a tree that the live tree was taken out because it was then dying. So that person killed the national Christmas tree. Right. Not cool. Terrible. So they had to bring a new one in. So the tree that we have today has been there just since October 2019. So this is only the second Christmas for our national Christmas tree. It's a 30-foot Colorado blue spruce from Pennsylvania. Very confusing to me. It's a Colorado blue spruce, but it was grown in Pennsylvania. So it's a Colorado blue spruce. First of all, Colorado, but it's grown in Pennsylvania. Also, they say it's a blue spruce, but it is not blue. It is very green. So I don't understand. I don't understand trees. I don't. What is fun, though, for me as a guide is, you know, it can be the middle of July and you can be outside the White House and then you can point out and go, that's the national Christmas tree. And they go, wait, what? I think a lot of visitors don't realize that we do strive to at least keep a living tree on the ellipse year round yes i point that out all the time on my white house tours the white house christmas tree (laughs) there it is and a little fun fact too is when they decorate it um they don't actually put anything on the tree itself because these trees as we have said are delicate and often um already dealing with the shock of being transported here um so they usually put a cage essentially over the tree a frame and then all of the lights go onto the tree that way for quite a long time the lighting uh the tree lights come from ge so general electric lighting provides this this year it's actually a partnership with ge lighting and savant systems part of the reason they did that is so that everything could be led and be as energy star eco friendly as possible this year there are about eighteen thousand lights on the tree which is a lot. And apparently it uses 80% less energy than previous years. So that is what we're dealing with today with the National Christmas Tree. Uh, And one thing to keep in mind is National Christmas Tree falls under the purview of the National Park Service. So the National Park Service cares for the tree. The National Park Service works with the National Tree Organization for everything. So it's part of the White House celebration, but it's sort of separated from the White House decor and decoration that happens inside the building. It's very much, this is not the First Lady's sort of decoration that they that you'll see on the news. This is the Park Service that takes care of this. Although the President and the First Lady and the, usually the First Family come out to do the tree lighting. Uh, so at the time that we recorded this, the tree lighting just happened last night. Yes. 
was not they didn't have people there i don't think no it was not like uh like so many things this year right done done more virtually um but they did go and light the tree so um while we can't just bring you into the white house and let you enjoy all the white house christmas holiday decorations uh you can go and visit the national christmas tree it will be open and available illuminated until 10 p.m during the week and then 11 p.m on friday and saturdays through new year's day so if you're in the region or you're coming through dc for the holidays Definitely come pay a visit to the National Christmas Tree and the Pageant of Peace. It's definitely one of my favorite things to do every holiday season. It's really lovely. Uh, it's just a beautiful space, a beautiful spot. So you don't need tickets or anything. It's just a, a walk up, show up anytime you want to come check it out. But obviously we recommend at night when it's illuminated. I have been there. My favorite time personally to go is like as the sun is setting, right as it's sort of blue in the sky and it's kind of going down and the lights are coming up. I, that's my favorite time. But obviously you can go wherever you want and you find my favorite, also other favorite thing to do is you find the tr states that you know, like your state or your where you live and you see which school from your state has decorated uh, your state tree this year. So different states will do it. It'll be the high school from somewhere or the little an elementary school from somewhere else. So I think that's pretty cool and fun. Yeah, I really like that. And sometimes it's also like outreach groups and, and nonprofits and stuff. So it'll come from, you might be, you might know the charity or the group that it comes from in your state. So I love looking at the state trees. That said, I will say if you're ever interested in taking a White House tour, which you can do, people, this is like one of the, I think the number one questions we get by email, we get by phone, is can I tour the White House? The short answer is yes. The more truthful answer is it's a lot of work. Um, but you can apply to tour the White House. That's something you do online you can do it up to you can do it up you have to do it at least 30 days in advance you can do it up to six months in advance and the more in advance you do it the more likely you are to go through you have to apply you have to be background check there's only certain days and times you can tour the white house so it can be tricky but if you have a chance to plan i encourage people to try to get a White House tour during the month of December because that is when the White House I think is at its most beautiful. Now it's also competitive because they're having White House tours for federal workers and for uh, you know they have Christmas parties and all kinds of things going on but if you um, have that flexibility try to apply for a White House tour in December and you'll get to see some of this decor up close and personal and I just think it's such a beautiful time to visit the White House. I can agree the only time I've actually been in the White House was at Christmas time and it was very lovely um, so you get to see all the decorations and it's very lovely and the white house tour in general is not my favorite tour in washington to be brutally honest but at christmas time it is very lovely and the national christmas tree experience uh, out front is also very cool if you can't get into the house itself so that is our, our little overview of kind of holiday traditions at the White House, around the White House. Um, I'm sure that there are more and we will do more uh, in future December episodes. Um, but that sort of leads us into what can you do for the holidays in Washington, D.C. in 2020? Because things are a little different. So you can still go and see the National Christmas Tree. You can go see the National Menorah that's out on the ellipse as well. Um, there's a number of places that are still putting up trees and illuminations downtown. So so the DAR Constitution Hall building has uh, an illumination all outside of its beautiful structure. Uh, the Willard Hotel is still doing its decor, uh, although they're limiting uh, 
the number of people inside, but they're doing, still doing their whole decor. There's the Capitol Christmas tree up on Capitol Hill, uh, which is illuminated and again open to the public in the evening to come and visit. Uh, the Botanical Gardens is one of my favorite spots during the holidays. They do their train displays and they do all these beautiful sort of like holiday plant displays, which are really cool. Um, and then there's the Downtown mm -hmm. Holiday Market, uh, which I love. That's right uh, yes. in the heart of kind of the gallery place area along uh, 7th Street there uh, and F Street. The market is open all the way up to Christmas Eve. Uh, there's a couple of dates that it's not open uh, in December, so you might want to check the website, but it's generally open daily. There's um, a requirement, of course, to wear masks, so just be aware of that. And they are uh, doing some capacity limits, so you might want to give yourself some time in case they're holding people's entry into the market. But basically every day from 12 to 8, you can take advantage of the downtown holiday market and you can support local vendors and artisans and, and food suppliers and stuff. It's really, really cool can walk around there's a couple of great areas like the downtown area the georgetown area that have holiday lights up in the sort of business districts and another thing that i recommend that you can do in dc which i think is really cool is there's a bunch of places to go ice skating uh the national gallery there's one at the wharf there's one at uh there's a couple of smaller places um dc has like an ice skating rink thing uh and you can go and rent skates and kind of go twirl around and some of them are obviously the capacity's lower this year and you um, things like that but uh they still are doing it's a nice outdoor activity and um you can get into the season. And then finally, of course, if you really want to uh, celebrate the season, you can take a holiday tour with us. Uh, we're offering in partnership with the Georgetown Bid walking tours in Georgetown that focus on the holiday displays and lights and a little bit of Georgetown history. This is a way for us to share a side of Georgetown we don't normally do on our tours and a way to help share with you some really great local businesses that are putting a little extra magic into their holiday displays this year. So you can book those tours online. We're offering them through the end of the month. So you can find that on our website, dcbyfoot.com. Um, we also have a downtown lights tour that um, we're doing by request. So if you're interested in doing a downtown lights tour, we have that available as well. And of course, we're happy to make some holiday recommendations. But I think a tour is a great way to see everything if you're in the area. And that's the White House DC Christmas experience, holiday experience. It's really fun. Part one. I'm calling it part one because I feel like we'll do another one next year. Probably, yeah. When things are a little different and more open. Um, <laughs> thank you guys for coming along with us. As always, we love our listeners. Um, if you enjoy the pod, if you enjoy what we're trying to do, the best way to support us is to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast app you choose. Uh, we they really It really does matter. And it really does help. Uh, we love um, to interact with people. So if you want to contact us on Facebook or Instagram or the Twitters uh, at Tour Guide Tell uh, on Twitter and Tour Guide Tell All on Facebook and Instagram, uh, you can email us tourguidetellall at gmail.com. And um, we'd love to hear from you. We're giving shout outs to people who uh, rate and review us this month. So if you uh, rate and review us on the, um, the apps, we'll shout you out in a future episode. Um, so please, uh, please interact with us. We like to talk to people. We are not exaggerating when we say like 
every email that comes through, we get so excited. Every like tweet or message or anything you send us, I'll shout out Mr. James. We are the podcast that came up in his Spotify wrapped as his like top podcast. So thank you, Mr. James, for being such a dedicated supporter of the pod. Um, We've gotten such great messages from everybody. We really appreciate it. It is the holiday season. And if you're looking to get some tour guide, tell all goodies, we do have our merchandise shop. You can support us on Shopify. All the proceeds help to just support um, our company and support us during this time. Uh, the tourism industry has been hit really, really hard. And so every every purchase, every patron, everybody who supports us, you're, you're literally just keeping us going and we're so appreciative. We will be back to talk about New Year's Eve. We're going to talk about New Year's Eve next week, and then we're going to take a little two-week holiday break. So um, we're going to talk to you about New Year's Eve, and then we're going to take a, a little holiday two-week break before we we launch into uh, kind of getting back to the non-holiday history. But we hope you all have a safe and wonderful holiday season. We're so thankful for you this holiday. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, everyone. Have a great holiday. Bye. Bye. <laughs>